The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to From the Pink Seats Podcast of the State of Louisville Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, Jacob Lane, Matt McGavin, and Vince Lococo. Ho, ho, ho. What a great Christmas we all got. Hopefully, we all had a great <laughs> Christmas, great holiday season. What you won't find under your tree is a victory from Louisville in a bowl game in 2023. Very unfortunate, uh, but the reality of the situation. Uh, we're going to get into all of that on From the Pink Seats podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in uh, here in what is the last game recap of the season. Of course, we're going to have a lot of offseason content, but man, it really has quickly come to an end for Louisville football. Again, we'll dive into everything that happened on the USC game, dive into the holidays, all the fun shenanigans. I all of a sudden, Matt, have a hankering for Pop-Tarts, so I might leave the show (laughs) mid-episode to go get myself some Pop-Tarts. We'll see. I'm also going to do my best to avoid going into a rage of cough. I've had the worst cough I I might have. But bronchitis, I might have some. I got something, Matt. I got the December funk in me. So we're going right. to try to avoid that today on the show, but we can't thank you all enough for tuning in. Matt, how was your holidays, buddy? It was pretty good. I mean, low-key, went over to my mom's house for Christmas, kind of had a, a, a smattering of family members there. There wasn't the, the whole brigade, but, you know, there was, there was enough people there to, you know, enjoy myself. What about yourself? Everything was great, man. I, I love the holiday season with a six and, your two, and a two-year-old uh, because it's just all about giving uh, at that point. Obviously, not much that I'm expecting as a dad to, in terms of receiving gifts. But the kids, Santa came and, and did his thing. Elf uh, on the shelf continues to be a hit on the house. So uh, <laughs> it was it was a great time, man. Really have done a lot of resting this week. Been off of work, so have not moved out of my bed much. Watched a lot of bowl football. It's been great, man. Really can't complain. Uh, outside of the loss for Louisville against USC, which, again, um, there's a lot to get into on this one. Um, it, it's been a great time. But I will say, I'll start the show off. Shout out Kern's Corner. Vince went out of there impromptu on a Friday. Popped in, got a burger, got some chili on his way out to Florida, which is why Vince is not on the show today, just myself and Matt. Uh, but uh, I want to say, Matt, this past weekend, one of the things I did before Christmas was I went to the pop-up bar at Frankfurt Avenue Liquors and Wine. Shout out to Frankfurt Avenue Liquors and Wine. They bring you from the Pink Seats podcast. Frosty is the name of the bar, and it is a great time, <laughs> Matt. It is a great time. I had uh, a couple of different drinks, the, the favorite being a uh, Prosecco 
uh, Prosecco. Sorry, Prosecco. I, I, always, yeah. I always want to say prosciutto, which is obviously not prosciutto. the right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm gonna take a shot, prosci- a shot of prosciutto. <laughs> hey, I bet Vince has taken a shot of prosciutto before. That's the most exciting oh, thing about him, I'm sure. But the drink was it was fantastic, man. I, I cannot uh, applaud those guys and gals over there enough for the work that they've done. Shout out to Chip. Shout out to the whole team over there at Frankfurt Avenue Liquors and Wine. Check them out. Two one one five. Frankfurt Avenue, right next to the Manhattan Project, over there in the Clifton area. Great spot, full liquor store, and then you've got the bar, man. And the bar is brilliant. It is great. Great atmosphere in there. Took the family. They really enjoyed it. So anyways, all of that to say, shout out to our sponsors. It's been a great holiday season. Jolly and merry uh, is what we are here on this podcast, but uh, not because of football. That's unfortunate. But So let's just dive right into it. As I mentioned, no Vince. So no Vince's game notes today. We're just going to kind of Three ball this and, and talk about the game as it kind of unfolded our perspectives. Uh, obviously, Matt covered the game. I, I much more watched it at home. I had to rush back because we had a family Christmas on Wednesday night, Matt. Mm-hmm. Uh, started the game in my uh, wife's grandparents' living room in a recliner. And once you're in a recliner, it's really hard to leave a recliner. I got to tell you, <laughs> uh, I think that's my number one learning of the holiday weekend is that I have to get a recliner soon. You might catch me doing a show from a recliner uh, momentarily, but for this game, okay, just a quick run through of this here. I know we, we all watched this and suffered together. The final score. Uh, I, I think it tells the full story to be honest with you. It felt much closer than this, but the final score 42 to 28 uh, outside of the first couple of minutes of the first half. And then once Louisville kind of bounced back in the second half, this was USC's game start to finish. Yep. Holy shit, Miller Moss is good, man. Like, can I? Do you get the feeling that other teams do this like quarterback and point guard thing so much easier than Louisville? Like, I I don't know what it is about this program. I obviously we've had some greats, right? But it at times it feels so difficult to just be average. And Miller Moss walks in third string quarterback, not throwing six touchdowns today. That's just how that's how it goes. I mean, see, dude. see that that's the thing. Mil- Miller Moss wasn't the third string. He was he's been the backup all season. People just think that he was the the, the third string because Malachi Nelson entered third the third string in our hearts, right? Okay, you're right. Not yeah. technicalities. Third string in our hearts because Mal- Malachi Nelson, right, wasn't going to play this year as a five star quarterback. Miller Moss played, I think, in three or four games, had a couple of rushing yeah. touchdowns, believe it or not, uh, and a passing touchdown, I think, right? So. Um, anyways, point B and Miller Moss, a decent guy. He's a four-star top 125 kid. Um, and as I wrote about on the site, Matt, uh, and I'm sure you did as well. It's like, if Louisville doesn't do this and they don't do this and they don't do this, then Miller Moss can do this. And we're like, but Louisville's going to do, you know, two or three of these, this is, and Miller Moss is never going to get going, but they didn't do any of it. And Miller Moss immediately hot from the get go. Let's just talk about. Let's start here with the defensive woes. Well, let me first run through the stats. 42-28, Jack Plummer, 21 of 25, a relatively efficient game, but only 141 yards passing. Meanwhile, Miller Moss, 23 of 33, 372 yards, six TDs to that one interception from Quincy Riley. You would have thought that Miller Moss was the six-year senior based off of the way that this game was played. We talked about the weapons that USC was missing and Louisville was missing to our Jordan Jamari Thrash. Louisville really didn't feel the impact of that uh, at the running back spot because I, Isaac Ariendo, career day, 23 carries, 161 yards, three touchdowns. Probably should have gotten a little bit more work in the first half, too. Oh, I agree. Mo Turner, 11, 11 carries, 33 yards, was doing just fine, moved the sticks, caught some some passes, did some nice things there. But uh, ultimately, Isaac Ariendo was the MVP for Louisville of this game. Just a true workhorse, like bell cow running back, made himself some money, uh, you would hope. Uh, and then on the other side, 
like again, you talked about the opt-outs, right? So we named several of several guys, right? From uh Marshawn Lloyd to Caleb Williams to Brendan Rice to the transfers of Mario Williams and Curtis Tackett and all these guys for USC. Uh, but what you saw was that their top receiver, Taj Washington, which am I crazy or did he come from Syracuse? Did he not come from Syracuse? I could have sworn I he did. Don't think he okay. did. I maybe I got him mixed up with somebody else, but I could have sworn that he was a Syracuse transfer. Uh, but he balled, of course, because that's just what guys with the last name Washington have done to Louisville this year, right? Malik Washington with Virginia did the same thing. And then you had Makai Lemon, Jacoby Lane. Jacoby and I talked about this at Christmas, Matt, on Monday. I said, look, bro. <laughs> the Lane family Christmas. You got, you got, bro, you, you can't. You got to take it easy on us, man. Like, you can't be torching us. And he's like, all right, man, I got you. Goes out. And smooth, <laughs> smooth three for 60 and two touchdowns. Uh, and then defensively. Louisville, no sacks, really no tackles for loss to speak of. It was three, well below their season average. And just a pedestrian game, they give up again that 372 yards passing, uh, more than uh, almost quadruple what they've given up on a on a game-by-game game basis this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Just just insane, man. What are, what are your thoughts when we talk about the defense? That's where we got to start, the coverage. Oof. What First happened? and foremost, I, I do want to point out that I got the score prediction right. I just got the teams wrong. <laughs> I did call a 42 to 28 game. I'm not going to say who I said was going to win, but it was a 42 to 28. But anyways, with all of the opt-outs that USC had on offense, now granted, but Louisville had opt-outs too, but USC's offensive opt-outs were a lot more impactful. You had Caleb Williams, who was the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, they're starting running back, their leader in touchdown receptions, and a couple other guys kind of smattered in there. The only position on that side of the ball was that wasn't really impacted was offensive line. I think they were at relatively full force. So, I mean, given that Louisville had just come off of a, a defensive-minded performance against Florida State in the ACC championship, now grant, granted they didn't win that, but they probably should have if the offense had even – something close resembling a pulse. I honestly thought that Louisville's defense would be, would perform a lot better in this game, just because this has been a team for the most part, that's been anchored by their defense. When you think of Jeff Brom led team, you think of offense, you think of passing the ball. And in some regards, this was a team that was the complete opposite of what Jeff Brom is normally known for. This was a team that found most of its offensive success running the ball. And overall, their defense was better than their offense. So I thought, okay, their defense should have a somewhat respectable showing against USC. I mean, now I know Lincoln Riley is one of the top offensive tacticians in all of college football. But, I mean, the defense has been balling out. USC is heavily impacted by transfers and opt-outs in the NFL and all that. So I thought that this would be a game where Louisville should be able to hold their own. I I didn't really take into account the fact that USC is one of like maybe five, six, seven programs where no matter who is not playing, the person behind them is more than likely a high four-star or a five-star. So like depth is like, not a question for them. They're up there with like Bama, Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame, LSU. Like they're among the that caliber of team where like whoever steps up in their place is probably like a top 300, top 250 type prospect. And I think ultimately that's what the biggest difference in this game was not just on the defensive side. It just made itself more apparent on the defensive side for Louisville. 
is that Louisville's USC's depth, while unproven, has untapped way more untapped talent. Whereas Louisville's, it's an unknown commodity too, but the depth there in terms of overall talent is nowhere near on caliber for a USC. And that was fully exposed in the secondary. Now, I rewatching the game, I couldn't tell if it was just a couple really bad individual efforts or if it was a bad game plan. Cause like I watched, I rewatched it the day after, and then I'd watched some highlights uh, yesterday and it seemed like, now I'd have to go, I'd probably have to rewatch again, but I don't really want to. But it seemed like the coaching game plan was to play a lot of man-to-man, a lot of cover one, cover zero, where like a lot of guys are on islands where the safeties don't have a ton of help. And the safeties got burned. I mean, yeah. Cam Kelly and Devin Neal, they they were fantastic through the regular season in the ACC championship. They were terrible in this game. And then Storm Duck, whew, there ain't turkey on Thanksgiving. There's Duck going to be on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Like he he got he didn't play a lot of snaps, but you knew he was out there whenever he was because Miller Moss picked on him the few snaps he was out there. He got burned a couple times for big plays. So it makes me think while the game plan might not have been the best, I'm not sure if, if they did play like more cover two, cover three, or switch to more like a zone look. I'm not sure that would have made a huge difference because it seemed like a lot of this, the defensive backs and a lot of the linebackers in the middle of the field, I mean, all night, except for those first two drives where they actually did look good, it seemed like all night long the pass, the, the defenders stepping back into coverage were like a step or two behind or a step or two too late to react. I don't know if that's something you picked up, but that's that's one of my bigger observations from the game. Yeah, it looked like they were constantly just out of place. Uh, you know, two, three steps might be a little even generous, it felt like. I mean, there were times where there were guys out of frame, and you're like, where is the guy yeah. covering that guy at? You know, it was so uncharacteristic of, of a defense that played sound football for most of the year. Now, they obviously had their lapses. You could go out and point out particular quarters, particular games where they struggled. But after, like you mentioned, Matt, after Florida State, defensively, you didn't expect Louisville to necessarily – uh, struggle at all because it's a it's a no. backup quarterback, a young guy making his first start without his running back, without his second receiver, without you know key pieces all over the place. The team looks different. You know, coaches are leaving. You don't expect for that guy to play with so much poise and to be able to pick your defense apart. And you you know, I don't know from a scheme standpoint what it was, but it just looked off. Everything looked off. I don't know if. You know, they they lost their focus at the zoo. Like, the San Diego Zoo is pretty cool. Uh, from what I've heard, I've never been there. Uh, oh, I, w- but, I wanted to go to San Diego just to go to the zoo. But, right, I mean, exactly. Like, Who can blame them? Like, that was the bowl game for them, maybe. I don't know. Like, that was the the trip. And the Top Gun, Top Gun Museum or whatever that was. And, you know, Petco Park as a whole playing in a baseball stadium. Like, it's just like, again, the moment was too big for them. Uh, and I shouldn't say again because in the ACC Championship it wasn't. But this moment was just – I don't. I, I really don't know what they it didn't is. look prepared. No, straight up, they didn't. The offense, defense, special teams—they did not look prepared. No, it was it was rough to watch, and you saw guys who are going to be making decisions to head off to the league. You know, like like a storm duck, right? And Jarvis Brownlee really kind of hurt themselves. You know, like their stock is not looking great after that game. The only one who really did 
really absolutely helped himself was Quincy Riley. Quincy like, Riley, Quincy yeah. Riley was like a, when everyone else is so bad, you stand out like a sore thumb. And that's what it was for him, obviously, having that interception, which at the beginning of the second half gave it gave Louisville every opportunity to come back. And what was so frustrating defensively was, you know, I, look, I get that they were down 14. Sometimes they were down, you know, 17 points, but Louisville pulled it back within seven after the Evan Conley touchdown. Louisville pulled it back within seven um, after the Isaac Gariendo touchdown in the, in the second half, they did what they had to do. But each time it was like, we flashed back to 2017 or, you know, 2019 or 2020 or 2021. You pick your year where the defense just gave up big play after big play after big play. And you have these stat lines for these receivers um, who have two catches to 75 yards, three catches for 60 yards, one catch for 44 and a touchdown, one catch for 32 yards. So they, they just, they just really picked a little secondary apart. And it, it, what really hurt them the most was that I feel like, in most games, the the pressure from the defensive front seven or front four, for the most part, makes it trickier for the quarterback to be able to take advantage of some of that man-to-man, some of those islands, right? And in this yeah. game, I don't know what your eyes saw. I have not rewatched the game in full transparency, you know, but just reading through my notes, it, it just, again, seemed like the defense was moving a step slower, a step behind. The pass rush was wide angles, Really, really hard lanes to get to. They weren't necessarily blowing plays up. Jared Dawson had a freaking fantastic play. I don't know if that was in the second mm. half or what that was. I think like, it was in the second half, yeah. Yeah, but for the most part, you know, Ashton yeah, Jelani I, was a no-show, essentially. You know, for a guy who was, uh, you know, looking to, I know obviously coming back now, but really provided Dude was an All-American no and didn't right. log a single stat. Yeah, not a single, just, we call that cardio. And no, no I mean, and all jokes aside, like, you know, he had impact on the game. Like you, you did see him getting close with some of his hurries, but ultimately, you know, when Miller Moss was able to roll out and make some of these throws that he did, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Everybody's yeah. it's all failures across the board. When the defense was operating at its peak during like the middle of the season, like in the game against Duke, the game against Virginia tech. I mean, it was not just one unit of the defense. It was complimentary football, the front seven, uh, and, and specifically the defensive line was doing a really good job getting home on their pressures and then helping them out on the back end. The the coverage had been getting a little bit tighter, like cover, the man coverage. They were staying on the receiver's hip. The, the zones were a little bit more crisp. They were keeping quarterbacks on their toes. I mean, both areas of the field were kind of working with each other. And in this game, they worked against each other almost because they were uh, outside of those first two drives where like they were able to get some pressure on Miller Moss, they were almost a non-factor. I mean, there were several plays in that game where Moss had several seconds just to stand there and kind of go through his reads, make the right decisions. And the thing is, he didn't have he didn't really need to go through his reads all that often because more often than not, the first one, two, maybe the third guy was wide open because the secondary was having trouble keeping guys in front. Yeah. And it was the, the, you know, the true kind of big bugaboo for them in this game that cost them, gave them obviously the, the fits from a 42 point standpoint for the quarterback to throw six touchdowns. I mean, it's just, uh, it's a shame that in, in this game, you know, I won't say with this on the line being 11 wins as if that's some like amazing feat, it is a great season and it really does 
you know, each win over 10 really kind of like moves the pendulum that much further towards having, you know, one of the best seasons in program history. Um, you know, obviously we, we're going to talk a lot more in detail over the coming weeks about the missed opportunities, but Louisville still had a great year and this game was the slam dunk to kind of finish it off. And, you know, switching sides to the ball, when you look at what USC was coming into this game, they were one of the worst defenses in power five football. I mean, that's not hyperbole. Mm -hmm. That's, that's true. As I mentioned yeah. last week, I just running through this 28 points to San Jose state, uh, 28 points to Arizona state, 41 to Colorado, 41 49 to, to Cal, <laughs> right? For, 49 to Cal, 41 to Arizona, uh, 48 to Notre Dame, 34 to Utah, 52 to Washington, 36 to Oregon. So they've given up points all year long. Uh, they fired their defensive coordinator after the loss to Washington because of it. Uh, but uh, this game, it's one game season. What have you done for me lately? They showed up and they they came ready to play. And, um, you know, I mentioned this on the show, but one area where I thought Louisville had the chance to to be kind of um, impacted it, it by the players who stayed back was on that front four for USC because they did have guys like Bear Alexander. They did have guys like um, Solomon Bird. They did have, you know, uh, you know, in the front seven, they had their leading tackler and Mason Cobb who played in this game and was a big part of it. Bryson Shaw. So they had guys who had been impact players for them all year. And with time to prepare, with time to let it click, it was very clear that they came into this game ready to go. Um, however, they couldn't stop the run. And that was fine. They didn't, they could let Isaac probably run for 300 yards in this game. And it really, I mean, maybe a 14 point difference, maybe. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, they clearly felt like they could sell out on stopping Jack Plummer. And I, I don't know. Let's start with this. Jack hits his hand on the helmet or gets banged up and goes to the tent. Brock Doman comes in. Jack eventually comes back in. What are your thoughts? Because at that point, the offense is stale. There's nothing really happening. It felt right to go to somebody else for a couple of drives, potentially. Were you a little surprised that Brom didn't make the change? To me, it just felt like at this point, Brom is just like indebted to Jack Plummer. Like, I have to play you, Jack. I can't bench you again. That can't be my narrative for your career is that in the final game, he could have even said he was injured, but in the final game, I can't, yeah, I know. I can't bench you despite the fact that it's very clear we need something else. Yeah, it, it's one thing if prior to that injury, Jack was like firing on all cylinders, hitting guys in stride, having good command of the pocket, showing awareness, and then he suffers an injury and Brom opts to keep him in. It's it's one thing if he was doing that. He really wasn't. I mean, for I mean, you look at the stat line, yeah, he went 21 for 25, but yeah, that's an efficient stat line, but a lot of his throws were off the mark. They weren't hitting receivers in stride. I mean, perfect example was the uh, the throw to Jaden Thompson, where if it's thrown on the money, he converts that at the minimum for a first down and has a chance to go for a touchdown right there in the red zone. Instead, it's way out in front of Thompson. He catches it, but he stumbles to the point where he falls well short of the sticks. And and I'll, and I'll say this. it's Did Jack Plummer play a factor in the offense's struggles in this game? Absolutely. There, there's no question about that. I mean, it, it, it's something honestly that a lot of, with a lot of Louisville's losses this season, like when you try and summarize the reasons as to why half of them are probably because of Jack Plummer and his decision-making and some of his turnovers, but an underrated storyline, not only from this game, 
But from the second half of the season onwards, like after the pit game, the receiving core really struggled. The outside of Jamari Thrash, who is going to be making money and playing on Sundays, no one on this in that receiver core, receiving core could really generate separation with much consistency at all. Chris Bell showed flashes, Amari Huggins Bruce showed flashes flashes kevin coleman when he wasn't being busy being the uh return man exclusively by the staff for some reason he showed flashes but no one really displayed consistency when going downfield and trying and going up against man zone whatever no no one else besides thrash really was able to consistently generate separation between them and their defenders and for as much crap as the fan base gives Jack some of it justified it's not really all on him and that's probably why you're seeing Brom hit the portal so hard with some of these impact receivers like Ja'Cory Brooks like Colin Lacey and I wouldn't be shocked if they try and go for another one because I mean a common theme with this passing attack is that while Jack Plummer had his faults the receiving core didn't really do him any favors sometimes. I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not crazy for thinking that because like if you try and watch some of these highlights or the all 22 and you and you watch any receiver not named Thrash try and you know break away from their man or find the hole in the zone, no one's consistently doing it. And so people want to get on Jack for like, oh, all he did was check down to the tight end or check down to the to the running back. That's all he could do in this game. No, yeah. no one else could. Generate any separation definitely. What do you want him to throw in a to to tight coverage with a guy right on his hip or throwing a double or triple coverage? That you'll still be pissed at him regardless. Yeah, I, I you know I, I think the thing in this game was they needed somebody to overcome those struggles. They needed that late in the season, right? And I don't think we talked about that enough on the show is how much some of these other receivers. I don't want to say struggling, but it wasn't breaking through. It wasn't doing enough to propel your offense to that next level, right? Like if you just look at the end of the season and you go game by game and you look at what Louisville's leading receiver did, it's not really great, right? Like after mm-hmm. Duke, you got Chris Bell led the team with receiving at 43 yards. Against Virginia, Mari Huggins-Bruce had 52. Kevin Coleman against Miami had 58. All of those came on one play. Jamari Thrash had 60 and 57 respectively against Kentucky and Florida State with one hand. And then in this game, Isaac Gariendo is your leading receiver with 42 yards. So on the season, Matt, Chris Bell finishes the season as the second leading receiver with 407 yards. They never developed a consistent number two. And I think part mm-hmm. of that was because their roles all changed drastically. Now, part of this is like separation has nothing to do with role. That's just whether you're a good route runner and whether you're, you know, right. good with your fakes and whether you're good with your foot with your footwork and all that. But I do feel like they had to move their roles around so much because Jamari Thrash went out for that one game. And then, you know, there's is he gonna play at all? And then he comes back, and then Jack. They're still trying to throw to him like he is the number one guy when meanwhile yeah. all these other guys are carrying the weight of that. It just felt very clunky. And then the Nate Kariski emergence at the end of the year was just weird. The whole thing late down the stretch was just weird with the receiving core. But what we saw in this game was that nobody was doing anything. I mean, I don't I don't mean to be blunt like that, but when you look at the, the data in this, it's just it's just shameful. It's just shameful against the defense that gave up all those points that I, that we just talked about, Matt, for your top mm-hmm. receiver to be your running back with 42 yards. 
Uh, and then you have yeah. Kevin Coleman with 26 yards on three reception. Now, part of that is Jack. What I'm getting to is Jack threw the ball. I would love to see the average of his his attempts, like how far he threw the ball. I would say his furthest pass. Yeah, I think he had one big play maybe in this game, but maybe outside of that, his his furthest pass was about 15 yards. Everything if else I, was less than seven or eight yards. If I remember correctly, now I'm pulling it up like as we speak, but I've, I've already looked at the numbers firsthand, so I, I kind of have some sort of baseline. I, I was actually looking into that right after the game, like when the PFF numbers came out, just because like I'm like you said, Jacob, going through and I'm like, yeah, he didn't really seem like he threw downfield at all hardly. And he really didn't. Just give me one second. I think he took one deep shot to Amari Huggins Bruce. Uh, and then maybe one coming out of that that second half drive where you're like, what the hell are you doing, Jeff? Why are you coming out throwing the ball three straight times, going three and out um, at, after you get the ball at halftime? And, uh, you know, it, it was just the play calling on the passing was very clunky in itself. But Th- this is what it is. He attempted only three passes that went further than 10 yards downfield. Yeah. Three. Ten, he, 10 of his passes were thrown in between the numbers between like within the next th- 10 yards between the that and the line of scrimmage. And he attempted seven passes that went be, that went behind the line of yeah. scrimmage. There, there was no downfield passing attack mentality from Plummer or the play calling whatsoever. Yeah, and you're not gonna, you know, and again, these these bowl games are somewhat a joke, like in terms of they don't matter. Half the, look, look at the Florida State Georgia game, like that's that's JV Florida State or JV uh, Georgia and Florida State playing in that game. Like that's that's not the same teams, right? But in these bowl games, what you have to do for the most part is you have to get creative with your play calling. You have to be aggressive. You can't be conservative and just try to run the ball in between the tackles or just try to throw the ball side to side for four, four, three, you know, three, four yards here and there. You've got to take deep field um, shots. You've got to look to move the change and, and, and bunches. And in this game, they just didn't do it. And that's a, I thought it was a true Testament that when you've had almost a month to prepare, you have a six year quarterback. And this is the strategy that you come out with that you just weren't prepared for this game. Like, let's just call it what it yeah. is. It's fine. Uh, but for a coach who was five and one in bowl games coming into this, I just expected more. Um, and the conversation about Jack, we're going to get into this in depth, but like, I think that it's just as much a conversation about Jeff Brom as it is about Jack's struggles, because ultimately as the head coach, it's up to you to, to realize when your quarterback isn't giving your offense what it needs. And I get, you have a hand injury, things happen, but you, you've got to open the playbook up. You've got to trust your quarterback to do it. And if not, put somebody else in, put Brock Dumman. And we saw mm-hmm. what he could do last year against Cincinnati. I know that's not USC, but this defense was garbage, Matt, just garbage. It's, especially since you have a built in excuse to bench plumber because of his hand injury. Like you, yeah, you've right. got the per you've got the perfect cover to bench plumber for his performance. Like just say that he got hurt and just, just lie, lie, just have Brom and plumber get together and say, yeah, we, I know you didn't play well, but we're going to say you, you hurt your pinky and you couldn't, you couldn't really grip the ball. Like just, and, and then we'd literally be none the wiser. Then instead we're having this discussion, like how you had the perfect built-in reasoning and logic to make a quarterback change. And, Maybe you should have. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but right. You know, it's it says a lot that he opted to stick with Plummer, even with a dislocated pinky. 
I would love for you to have that be your question when you speak to him next is what went into not making a quarterback change? Was it ever on the table, whether it be in the bowl game or other, you know, other games? I feel like he's going to give you the runaround of, you know, we're always evaluating. We're always looking to com- compete and, you know, we're going to play guys that we think give us the best chance to win. But, you know, I heard um, or I saw somebody, I think it might have been, you know, uh, I, I'm not even going to say who, I don't know who it was, to be honest with you, but I saw a point on Twitter this weekend. And it's something that I brought up a couple of weeks ago is that that anger at Jack Plummer is misdirected anger with Jeff Brom, right? Because mm-hmm. as my my good friend has said all year when talking about Jack Plummer, if he's not it, why isn't somebody else playing? And if the answer is, well, there's not somebody else, why not? That's the question, right? When you right. have a quarterback guru is how do you not have somebody um, ready to go? And in this game, I really did expect that we were going to see Pierce Clarkson. I really did expect to see... Brady Allen. I know you mentioned Brock Doman. We saw Evan Conley and shout out to Evan for the for the walk off career touchdown. But like, it's just frustrating that there was just no ability to spark a passing offense. Isaac's having the game of his life, and really, you you could have controlled this game with just a hint of a passing game. Um, and and like I said, Matt, a, a lot of it is bad throws. The the like Jeff Brom can't have made a better play call in the Jaden Thompson. The, oh, you know, I know. For third down play where he just didn't get there. Um. But at the other times, like the, the, and I keep going back to this. We saw this several times this year. You have so much success in the first half running the football. You you struggle down the end of the half. Jack takes that sack into the halftime, and you come out and you throw the ball three straight times and have to give the ball right back to USC. Ultimately, it shakes out because you pick the pass off the next drive with Quincy Riley, and that you know you get the ball back and you score and you bring it back to a seven point game. But still, like you score in that first play there, that first drive. And you have a much different opportunity in front of you. Um, and, and so it's just frustrating all the way around. Uh, final things before we go to a break here, Matt. Any Anything that you have to close the book on? It's a, it's a disappointing end to a season. It feels a lot like 2016. It really does uh, to it be does, so close yeah. and kind of have it just three straight losses to end, to end the season. But um, what, what in the you know 30 seconds or, or less here, what, what do you think? And just f- final thoughts. It, I just think that it it was a successful season, no doubt. I mean, ten wins, first berth in the ACC championship. But I can't help but th- but wonder, like, it could have been so much more, and it could have been a truly special season for Louisville, and the, the opportunity just blew them by. It did, it did. Uh, and as I mentioned, we'll we'll talk about this much more in depth over the coming weeks, um, and we will continue on here on the other side of the break, talking about the portal and what's next, but. Uh, There's a lot of interesting notes that will come out of this, a lot of stats and data, I think, that will help to kind of tell the story of what Louisville was pre-Jamari Thrash, Jawar Jordan, and what they were post-Jamari Thrash and Jawar Jordan in terms of health. So definitely going to be interesting. It's disappointing, but anytime you can get to 10 wins, it's something that should be celebrated. So we'll be right back on the other side. We will talk transfer portal, some big news today, right before we hit record on the show. Some key players hitting the portal. Louisville in on some big names. The roster is changing. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. From the Pink Seats Podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Frankfurt Avenue Liquor and Wine. You can find them at 2115 Frankfurt Avenue, right next to the Manhattan Project. Full bar service and a full liquor store. Stop in there today and tell them from the Pink Seats Podcast sent you.
All right, we're back on the Pink Seeds podcast brought to you by the fine folks at Frankfurt Avenue Liquors and Wine. Again, you can find them at 2115 Frankfurt Avenue right next to the Manhattan Project in the Clifton neighborhood. Go get you anything you need there. Make that the place where you stock up pregame, postgame. Go for pregame. Pre-game there, then go to whatever your game that you're going to. Conveniently located right near downtown. Great spot. They have their own dedicated parking lot, which I know in some of those spots can be a little bit tricky. So shout out to them. Uh, be sure that uh, when you stop in there that you tell tell them that you heard us talking about them here right on from the Pink Seats podcast. Matt, the transfer portal is moving. It's churning. Uh, things kind of slowed down right there, right before the bowl game. But you knew as soon as the bowl game happened that there would be more movement. Uh, and that's exactly what's happened since that game finished up. On Wednesday night, Louisville has had a couple more uh, portal entries with the most notable coming here in the last couple of hours uh, offensively. Really, they're probably most impactful transfer so far in this cycle, uh, and that is Amari Huggins-Bruce. He's played in a lot of career games for Louisville. He's a, a three-year junior, came in in 2019, um, and really found a role, had his best year as a freshman. Uh, or maybe that was 2020. I can't remember what year. 2020, but, uh, yeah. 2020, yeah. really came in and, and kind of felt that impact and really thought he was going to be the next kind of Tutu Atwell. Uh, and unfortunately, as, uh, as I just tweeted out, it just felt like even with Jeff Brom and, and Scott Satterfield, that no coach was ever able to get the most most out of him in terms of how they utilized him. Um, I, you know, I think that when you saw the ball in his hands this year, you think of the big play against Boston College. You think of the, uh, you know, ultimately one of the the big reasons they pulled that win off against Virginia at home was the Amari Huggins-Bruce 72-yard bomb. Um, he had his moments, but ultimately, again, when you look at the wide receivers in that group, no one really developed into that second guy. And for him behind some of the names he's played behind, he never was able to truly develop into that second guy. And so here's to hoping he finds his Russ Yee spot. I think that's the dream for a guy like that who is given a lot to Louisville that he'll find a place and uh, ultimately they'll put him in the right spot and he'll able be able to go on and have a career like Russ Yee's now starting for the Rams, a former seventh-round pick. So what do you think about Amari Huggins-Bruce? How big of a loss is that? Yeah, it, it, it's definitely impactful. I, I, I can't say I'm super surprised that it happened because it seemed like it was bound to. Because like you said, Jacob – he no matter what coach, whether it be Scott Satterfield or Jeff Brom, he was never really properly utilized or used. Like we could like it seemed like ever since he was a freshman, you could see his flashes of potential. But that's all you really kept seeing, which is flashes and flashes and flashes. He was he never really had a consistent role. And I, I'm not sure how much of that was like maybe he didn't develop more so, but it seemed like he wasn't really put in the position to consistently have success and i am not really sure why because now it's a it, it, it was a thing under scott satterfield and then brahm he didn't i don't think he utilized him as much as he should have so now that we've had this happen under two coaches maybe with it's the cop with him being the common denominator, maybe it's a him thing versus the coach thing, but it's still, regardless of who was the OC, it, it, it seemed like they could have done more you, to utilize him and his talents and his ability as a ball carrier. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just always thought that you thought he should be utilized this way. And then they used him like this. And then you would say, well, why don't you do this? And then they would do it like this in both staffs. It was just, 
a mystery as to no one could, you know, really unlock that talent. Uh, but now he'll go into the portal uh, and he joins a, a growing list here. I think we're up to what 11 now for Louisville overall with Josh Minkins kind of being that first big name uh, now heading off to West Virginia. We saw Cam Wilson commit to Cincinnati the last couple of days. Popeye Williams will join Lance Taylor up at Western Michigan. Uh, so these guys are slowly starting to find homes. And now Mari Huggins-Bruce is joined by Keith Brown, the linebacker who transferred in last year from Oregon. Um, didn't ever really materialize into finding a role behind uh, the uh, emergence of TJ Quinn and Jalen Alderman, but still a depth piece. So Louisville will have to look to replace that. Uh, you would expect a big, you know, kind of a, a role shift for Stanquan Clark um, heading into next year as that third linebacker. Uh, and then the final guy going into the portal today, uh, yesterday was uh, offensive tackle Vincent Lumia, who did not play, I don't believe, this season. Uh, I'm not sure exactly played why. Played in one game, and that was played in one against game. Murray State. Murray State. Okay, so played against Murray State, but was another guy that they got out of the portal last year from Duquesne. So uh, 11 guys out, 16 guys in with uh, potential for two more to hit uh, this weekend, maybe even more. We'll see. I know Brady... Brady Brahms already been sending out the Brady, the Brady alert. So we know something is happening, uh, but we know that Louisville is currently or will currently, or I shouldn't say will currently, but will host a couple of more impactful transfers. And that is, uh, let's see here. What we got? Nick, how do we say Scorton? Nick Scorton? Scourton is how I've Scourton. been Okay. It. I was going to have a lot more fun. I'm probably dead ass wrong, but you know, yeah. you know, you know, that's not a strength of ours. His name pronunciation but, uh, <laughs> yeah. led the, I believe that led the big 10 in sacks last season at Purdue or yep. was, uh, it was at the top of the list. Uh, yeah, he, a, he, le he led the big 10 in sacks. Yes. Yeah. Um, and is an edge rusher uh, who plays at six, four, what is this? Six, four, two eighty. Man, that's an athlete, dude. Like he's a big boy. Oh, that's a Yaya Diaby on the edge right there. I mean, that is, that's a big, big, a big addition, and you add him to the mix with Ashton Gelati coming back. That's uh, and then Mason. That's you're talking about somewhere between like twenty five to thirty sacks just between those three guys this season. That would be a huge addition. Louisville needs another pass rusher. We saw late that that pass rush really faded. I think Ashton only had maybe one or two sacks down the final four games. Uh, while Mason, you know, same deal, really didn't do much. Yeah. It was, you know, some of those secondary guys getting sacks. Uh, but the other one, and this is the one that kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, that is, I'm going to hope that this is as easy as it looks to pronounce. Penny, <laughs> Penny Boone, Penny Boone, baby, out of Toledo, the Mac Offensive Player of the Year in 2023. And you want to talk about a bruiser, bro. Like, you just saw what Isaac Guriendo did against USC. Imagine what a fella who is 6'1", 242 will do to you. Offensive player of the year. That is, this isn't a goal line back, Matt. This isn't a Jeremy Smith. This isn't uh, a, uh, a just a big boy, right? This is a, the combination of speed, size, athleticism. What are your thoughts? What are you hearing? Uh, what's it look like is going to happen with Louisville over the coming days? I, I know, I know. Like, like you said, Brady Brom's already had his little Brady Brom bomb on Twitter. I, I know who it is. I know. I don't know what the timing is going to be, uh, but it, just expect for Louisville to get some help on the secondary, and that's all I'll say there. Um, I know fans are wanting to hear about what's going on with Jalen Lucas, the IU transfer, who was a freshman All American as a kick returner. But I mean. I think Penny Boone is probably going to would probably be a much bigger addition because this dude's built like a Mack truck, but he's got the wheels of a Ferrari. Like he's he's like the all encompassing package that you would want 
out of a running back. Now, will that translate from the Mac to the ACC? We'll see. But I mean, like at the very minimum, you've got a guy who's what, 240, 6'1", something like that. Like he, he's a big boy. So I, 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 I personally would be more excited if Boone was to commit than Lucas, but Hey, I'm not going to take either one of them. That's for sure. And then with, with Scourton, uh, I, I, if he does commit to Louisville, I don't expect it to be soon because he's going to be visiting to visiting Louisville on January 4th, a few days after the new year. And he's in line to visit Florida state the day before on January 3rd. And I think he said he was also interested in Colorado, Texas A&M and a couple other Texas schools. Cause he is from Texas. So of course the Texas schools have been ringing off the hook. So there could be more visits down the downwind for him. So I, I wouldn't expect for Scourton to make a choice anytime soon, but Penny Boone, excuse me, Penny Boone has already declared a top three of Louisville, Florida State, and Kentucky. So e- even if Louisville doesn't get Penny Boone, they will be seeing Penny Boone in, probably in some form or fashion. I can't remember if they – does Louisville play Florida State in 2024? I don't think so. I really don't think so, but I also don't know. So I don't know. It's a good, well, they play Kentucky. I know that for sure. So even if Louisville does not get Penny Boone, there's a very good chance they'll still be seeing Penny Boone. So it'd be it would behoove Louisville to be the one with Penny Boone and not against Penny Boone. That's right. And when you look at say they do add uh, Penny Boone into the mix, they that will pair him with Mo Turner, Donald Cheney Jr., who committed from uh, Miami a few weeks back. And then you you know you bring back Kiwan Brown, who was a redshirt this past year. You bring in uh, the two running backs, uh, Deuce, Ad- uh, not Deuce Adams, but Duke Watson and uh, Isaac Brown. Isaac Brown. So you're really building out a, a, a nice stable of running backs there. Um, and I think that, you know, an addition like Boone is what they need. Um, and, and here's, I, I told you earlier, I had a take for the show. Um, and here's, here's what it is. <laughs> when I look at the portal, I'm very excited about a lot of this, Matt. But I'm having a hard time looking at this and saying where Louisville is upgraded. Now, I know the easy ones are defensive line with Thor Griffith. Like, that's a massive upgrade, probably an NFL potential um, defensive lineman. And then Mark Redman um, and uh, Tanner Kazuli. I don't know. I, not not good with names. Cozy All is how I was pronouncing Cozy it. Cozy All. Okay. Uh, from Ball State. So, again, you get um, some talented weapons there. But is Colin Lacey better than Jamari Thrash? I'm not, I don't know. I don't, I guess that's I know Ja'Cory Brooks is that's for sure. You think he's better than Jamari Thrash. That's interesting because I would say that Jamari Thrash, I mean, I know he didn't play at Alabama, but Jamari Thrash came in with production. Whereas Ja'Cory Brooks, he's been out played what three games in 2022. He was hurt. That's why that's true. That's right. But Louisville, think about it though. Louisville's added a lot of those transfers of, of guys who missed seasons and we, you know, some have hit, some haven't, but what I'm getting at is, okay, take Ja'Cory Brooks out, take out, Thor Griffith, take out Colin Lacey. Where has Louisville upgraded their roster, right? Corey Thornton, I'm not sure he's an upgrade over Quincy Riley or even close to it, right? So that means to me, you better go out and you better land another big name at corner. Tyler Shuck, like, I mean, we've been told he's better than Jack Plummer, but he's not played more than seven games in a season uh, his whole career. Again, COVID happened in his one of his seasons, but... This is a guy who hasn't played a ton of football um, and hasn't won a ton of games um, overall. And, you know, in terms of like at the highest level, 
Um, and, and so you're talking about, again, maybe you have another game manager quarterback, right? And then on the offensive line, like I really like Monroe Mills. I really Monroe like Mills is one of the better transfers for sure. And, and that's where you could probably make the argument that on the left side, maybe you're getting better. On the right side, you're getting better wherever he ends up playing. And Jonathan Mendoza, again, look, the addition that a guy who's 6'9 brings to your team, you don't need me to tell you. But like, is the, the offensive lineman from uh, Northern Illinois who's likely going to play center? Is that better than Brian Hudson? Are you getting better on the interior of the offensive line? Uh, Victor Cutler. I mean, he's probably a depth guy. We did see Lance Robinson play a lot in this game and looked fairly good. I just, my point being, Matt, I'm not, this is not me shitting on the, the, the class, right? I'm very much aware that this is a dope <laughs> class. Like I love Ja'Cory Brooks. I love Donald Chaney. I love Thor Griffith. Like I think Thor Griffith is going to be probably the best transfer out of this class. My point is you better go up from here. You better go out and get impactful winning guys. No more depth guys. No more, you know, uh, guys that have potential, no more guys that had big years two, three years ago. No, Louisville needs to add starters, particularly at corner. Louisville needs to add starters, probably a wide receiver. Louisville needs to, I mean, look, I get that that they that a lot of folks are really comfortable with the quarterback situation. I would just keep an open mind about it and continue to see what's out there because it's about winning. And I still think after what we saw, Against USC, Matt, and what we saw down the end of the end of the year, you need more skill in positions outside of quarterback, and even at quarterback, if you're going to take this team to that 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 level, go to the playoff. That was the difference in ten wins and going to a college football playoff, right? And I know we're happy with ten wins. Well, we love it. We'll take ten wins, Matt, but we're not happy with the Pittsburgh loss. We're not happy with how Louisville, you know, really flunked out of the ACC championship uh, for lack of better terminology. There's there's room to grow, and my point is, so far, Matt, there's like Mark Redman and Thor Griffith and a couple of these guys, Corey Brooks, Colin Lacey, really nice starts, big names, big pieces, but we need like four more of them, like a, like those caliber. Like they need to go out and they need to land some big name transfers from the portal, uh, and I think they will. So again, me not shitting on this class. That's not what I'm doing here. Don't take it as that. Matt's giggling in the background, knows that I'm probably going to get in trouble a little bit. My point is that, We've got to be careful about what is added to replace, and you need to go out and you need to upgrade at each spot from this this point on. You need to get another corner. You need to get a, probably a safety. Uh, so there's a lot of work left to be done, but I have faith that they'll they'll do it. And look, hey, the staff looks like they're going to stay together for the most part. Knock on wood. Uh, so that's good. Why would you say that out loud? Because just because you said that said that, yeah, that someone's yeah, going right. to leave. I know, I know, and I thought that before I said it, and then it was already kind of like sneaking out, and there really wasn't much that I could do at that point. So it, it, it yeah. you know, I don't, you know, I don't have impact on these things. I'm not out here working, yeah, yeah, working yeah. the phones, trying to get guys to move. I want guys to stay, uh, and I think that that's what's going to happen. And if I'm wrong, you know, I, it's not the first time. So true. Uh, overall, though, there's. A lot of time, a lot of time, right? The the, the signing yeah. period, and and, um, and now that you have like some, because like the, the transfer portal activity was never going to be like completely done. Like right now, just because there was always going to be a handful of guys leave after the bowl, like once they have the final opportunity to play for the season. And I mean, I'm not a bet man. Well, that's a lie. I'm a bet man. I'm just bad at it. Um, I I do think there's probably going to be a handful more into the portal. Who exactly? I'm not really completely sure. But I would be a little bit surprised if Louisville didn't see a few more guys enter the portal between now and when the window closes on January 4th. But, hey, if they don't, that's then they're able to 
they liked what they saw in the guys that did say, or maybe the guys that were thinking about jumping into the portal, maybe they like what their outlook for next season. But I'm fully expecting there to be more transfer portal activity over the next couple of days. And, and then from there, they can assess the situation because, like you said, I think corner is probably definitely another spot they need to, to look at. I, I do really like Corey Thornton, the UCF transfer. He's a long rangey type of corner who's been productive for a while now. But uh and but Tayon Holloway, he's probably going to be more of a depth guy. I don't foresee him being a starter. So I I do agree with you there that they do definitely need to go after another starting corner. Um yeah, maybe I mean, maybe no. grab a linebacker for yeah. depth purposes. Or I, maybe I even so. to start. Yeah, because I mean, um, TJ Quinn, he's coming back, right? And I can't remember off the top of my Yeah, head. yeah, you have Quinn and Alderman back, plus Stanquan Clark, right? So your core is still really young there. They're all sophomores and juniors, essentially. So a really young core that will continue to develop there. But when you mention the cornerbacks, you know, the hope is that a guy like Marcus Washington, who came over from Georgia last year, can take a step and become a contributor. Uh, you're hoping that, you know, from a safety standpoint, D'Angelo Hutchinson will continue to take steps, that these guys who have been reserve guys can get in the mix. Uh, but uh, And then obviously the, the dark horse in all of this is Aaron Williams, who was a four-star corner at uh, Bosco Prep last year, right? And he missed this whole season recovering from a torn ACL, uh, but he is still around. So there's, a, you know, another guy like that who is young with NFL talent all over him that you can throw into the mix. Uh, so there are pieces, but you need to, I, I guess I, I, I'm not, a, I, there's a reason why I don't work in media, right? Not, not a hundred percent great at articulating myself all the time. But the point being is that you just need to add impactful guys. Like that's the goal from now on and not depth pieces, unless you have to in certain places. So uh, another right. place that'll be really interesting to see what happens is the kicker spot. Um, Nick Lopez went into the portal who, uh, for those of you who are asking, who is that? He played uh, sparingly this season, mostly kicked extra points, but did come into the, the game late in the year when uh, Brock Trevel said was benched against Florida State or Kentucky. I cannot remember what game that was. Uh, one of those two games, maybe Miami. I think it was, I think it was earlier in the year. I think it was, I think it was Miami. Yeah, Miami. It was late. It was one of those final couple of games in the year, but yeah, it was yeah. benched and uh, ultimately, Jeff Brom kind of showed confidence and stayed with Travelstead. So Nick Lopez goes into the portal. Uh, I believe Travelstead is back next season. Uh, I believe yes, this will be a junior is. or senior. So um, we'll see if they bring somebody in to compete with him as a as a kicker. Uh, and then they do have some of the other young guys. Brady Hodges played punter most of the year. It looks like he will return. So um, it'll be interesting. There's a lot of work to be done uh, before the portal closes on the 4th, as Matt mentioned. And then we head into the spring where – Spring football, a lot of these guys will go out, they'll compete, and then we'll see this happen again. And the you know guys will go out, and that's where you get your Storm Ducks and your Cameron Kellys, and you know some of those guys who go to one location and then ultimately choose to go back into the portal, or guys who you know feel like they just want to compete and see where they shake out, and then go back into the portal or go into the portal in the spring. So a lot of time, but you gotta love the fact that on a what eighty three scholarships on a roster, and you have. 11 of your players in the portal only most of which are depth guys um and so that's a win for louisville i mean that just shows you what the staff has has pitched and 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 sold to this team that those guys are buying in that they believe that this is just the beginning for louisville and that it's all about sticking around working hard to earn your keeps and and go from there uh so a lot to be excited about uh, and then, you know, we talked a lot with Grant Mulligan last week on the recruiting front, Matt, but I do think that you have guys in this class who could see the field next year. 
um, and be, you know, meaningful contributors. I don't necessarily think that Jeff Brom's going to play young offensive linemen. We do see some of the defensive linemen. So you never know about a guy like, say, you know, like Xavier Porter being able to contribute out there. He's one of the higher ranked players in the class. But I do think that JoJo Stone, um, Dylan Messman, some of these skill position players, Isaac Brown, Duke Watson, they're going to have the chance to contribute, and, and that's going to make Louisville better that, yeah. that next year. They didn't really have a ton of that this year. The, you know, Outside of a couple of the freshmen who did play, there really wasn't many who were able to get meaningful snaps and be part of the class at, or on the field, but I think that, that might change with like a Sean Boykin Jr. next year. Like I would not be shocked at all if he plays quite a bit as a freshman, but I also wouldn't be shocked if he didn't play. Right. No, like the the high school recruiting class for Louisville this season – this cycle was their their strength was offensive skill position. So if anyone from this class is going to see the field early, it's going to be one of those handful of guys or probably Xavier Porter. Because I mean, Louisville does have I don't want to say a hole at edge rusher, but I mean you've got Ashton, you've got Mason, who are probably going to be your starters right now. But behind them, you don't really have like a lot of proven depth. I mean, you've got Adoniah Green and a couple other guys in that mix, but they probably need at least one more like go to edge rusher off the bench. So it might, maybe that could be Xavier Porter. If he develops, maybe it could be Nick Scowerton. We don't, maybe we don't know. Yeah. We'll see. I really, I mean, dude, when you look at Maurice Davis, he's not going to play a lot this year, but six, five, two, ten, dude, like that's the frame you want on an edge rusher. Like that's NFL. Like imagine if you see Abdullah had that body six, five, two, ten, man, like, that dude's got all the potential in the world. So it's going to be interesting to watch all these guys develop, and then we'll see some of these guys from the class this year. Katars Hicks, William Fowles, uh, Jaleel McClain, Jamari Johnson got his ass chewed out in that game several times on, <laughs> yeah, on Wednesday yeah. night. Yeah, Jamari yeah. Johnson did not make Jack Plummer happy. Yeah, uh, let's, so, let's let's hope the tight end blocking is a little bit better next season. Yeah, that's, that's right, man. That's right. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, unfortunate not to have better results coming out of the holidays, but uh, look, there's still – a lot of time to to continue to grow the program, get them going in the right direction. Ultimately, that's what happened this year. Uh, Louisville's got the guy to do it. He's locked in on like an 18-year deal now after all these bonuses hit. <laughs> Jeff Brom's right. feeling pretty comfortable here. Thank you all. Be sure to follow us on social media at Pink Seats Pod, at UofL Report, at The State of Lou. Uh, check out the show anywhere that you download your podcast from. We will be back soon. I don't know with what and I don't know with when, but you stick around, turn those notifications on, and you will be the first to find out. But until then, go Cards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.